Good morning, everybody. Congratulations on being at church on the 4th of July. Jesus is proud of you. Founding fathers are proud of you. There would be. Uh, I really, I don't know why they keep scheduling me on holiday weekends. I don't know if they're trying to tell me something, but if you guys want to catch my next sermon, just go ahead and cancel your Labor Day weekend plans, and uh, I'd appreciate it. Now, there's a good crowd here today. I'm, like I said, Jesus is proud of you guys uh, for being here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we can dive into this sermon. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come and speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask you just one more time to come and fill me during this sermon. Pray that your presence and your words would be felt and heard. God, do what you need to do uh, in each and every person that's in this room. God, each of us here uh, all just really need one thing, and that's to have more of you. And so do what you have to do inside of each person uh, during this room, in this room, uh, during this sermon. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, if you guys will recall, last week Luke got us started in Matthew 13, where Jesus is coming up and he's giving a bunch of sermons, or he's given um, a bunch of words on parables. And uh, Luke didn't do a very good job explaining parables uh, and stuff, so the elders asked me to come and preach on it again this week to kind of clear some things up uh, for everybody. Uh, I am going to just hit on a couple of things, uh, just really it's going to be maybe a little bit of repeat for you on some things that Luke said about parables last week um, that were really good. Uh, and one of the things that he said that I loved was that parables are um, a teaching of Jesus that are meant to simultaneously, at the same time, conceal and reveal. That means at the same time, Jesus is, is speaking in such a way, he's teaching in such a way that he is hiding some things from some people. And he's revealing some things to other people. And he said it was all based on whether or not, do you guys remember he had us do the, it all is based on whether or not you have ears to hear. And recently, uh, not, I guess it wasn't so recently anymore, um, but about three years ago I married a Hispanic woman. And uh, I learned something about Hispanic people is that they do this as well. If you are in a room uh, with, his, with some Hispanic people, and they want the Hispanic people to know what they're saying, and they don't want you, white person, to know what they're saying, <laughs> then they'll speak in Spanish. And in doing so, they're able to do this amazing thing where they conceal what they're saying to you, white person, and they are able to reveal what they're saying to the Hispanic people. And so, after a little while, I'm learning some more Spanish, and Maritza's starting to figure out uh, I'm, that I'm knowing what she's saying, and, and I'll be like, hey, what did, you, what did you just say about me? And, and so now she just talks a lot faster and accomplishes the same, the same purpose. So, uh, yeah. So, Hispanic people, if you think that there's a white person in there that might know uh, Spanish, just talk a little bit faster, and usually that'll do the trick just as well. But this is what God is doing, is he is, uh, in the parables, he's revealing and concealing at the same time. It's a very masterful way to teach, and it's actually a big part of God's character. See, God in himself is always a God who conceals himself, but also at the same time is revealing himself. I had a friend in high school 
who we were sitting down at CC's Pizza and having a conversation. We were trying to talk to him about Jesus. He didn't believe in God. And one of his big issues with God was he's like, if God is real, and especially if there's like a heaven and a hell and you have to believe in him in order to go to heaven, why, why doesn't he just show himself? Why doesn't God just put a big sign in the sky that says, hey, I'm God, paint a little self-portrait maybe, and that way all of us can believe in him? And he had a point. God does, in his way, conceal himself. He doesn't do that. He doesn't just go and show himself to all people at all times in every way in these big, boom, hey, I'm God moments. He conceals himself. But at the same time, we also know that God is a God who reveals himself. He longs all throughout the Bible to show himself and to come into a relationship with people and for people to see who he is. I mean, the Bible, this book, is one of the big evidences that God longs, he wants to reveal himself to the people of the world. And through people, or to people, and here, here's, here's the big difference here. Why does God conceal himself to some people and reveal himself to others? It's because God is revealing himself to people who want him. You see, in the Bible, there's a lot of places where God says something along the lines of this. He says, you will seek me, or you will find me when you seek me, when you're just open to the idea of me. No, that's not what it says. He says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your strength, with everything that you are. That's when God says that you will find him. That's when he says he will reveal himself to you. You have to be a person who says, I want God more than anything. Not, well, you know, I'm kind of doing my own thing, and if God, you know, really wants to get my attention, he'll make, you know, he'll send down some fire on a city or something like that again, and then maybe I'll, fo- I'll pay attention. God is revealing himself to those who want to find him, which is a really good news for if you're a person in here who wants to see Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to find God, he, want, he is more willing and able to show yourself, show himself to you than you are wanting to find him. All it takes is the desire. And so that's what we're talking about with parables today. Jesus is concealing and revealing at the same time, and it's a really great thing. And here's something about our passages today. If you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 13, we'll get started. We're picking up in verse 24. In verse 24, he says, He presented them with another parable, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like... And this is something that Jesus is going to say in every single parable that we're going to look at this morning. Jesus is here to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's going to use parables to illustrate it to those who are seeking the Lord and really want to know. Um, And this is a good thing that Jesus is using comparisons and trying to, to help us kind of understand the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is kind of, kind of a difficult thing to grasp. It's, Jesus didn't come and just say, all right, y'all, here are some rules, here are some do's and don'ts, do these things to get into heaven, don't do these things, uh, and you won't go to hell, because um, we would probably understand that pretty well. We understand rules. We grow up, and our parents have a set of rules for us, our teachers have a set of rules for us, the law has a set of rules for us, and so that would have been kind of easy to understand, but Jesus comes, and he's saying, no, I don't have a set of rules for you, I am inviting you into a whole new world. When you think about the, when you think about the kingdom, think about Jesus' world. The world where God is the king, and we are living under his generous, majestic rule and direction for your life. 
there's a lot more to the kingdom than what I just said, but if you really want to just narrow it down, you're talking about Jesus' world, where Jesus is the king, and we're following him. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. So, uh, I've used... Good, there's no timer up today. I can go as long as I want. Uh, I don't know how long I've been talking, but that was just the intro. So, let's, uh, let's read some Bible. This is the first parable, picking up in uh, the end of verse 24. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a person who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and sowed darnel, or weeds, among the wheat and went away. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds appeared also. So the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did all these weeds come from? He said, An enemy has done this. So the slaves replied, Do you want us to go and gather it? But he said, No. Since in the gathering the weeds you may uproot the wheat along with it, let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, first collect the weeds and tie it into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat into my barn. So the disciples obviously did not understand this, because whenever they got back into the house, the disciples said, would you please explain to us the parable of the weeds? And so Jesus does so. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, but we're going to skip down to verse uh, 36. Jesus said, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the people of the kingdom. The poisonous weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. As the weeds are collected and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin, as well as lawbreakers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, that's our first parable of the morning, and it's the parable of the weeds and the, and the wheat. There's a lot, I think, that you can get out of this parable. I think we could talk about how Jesus came and the, the messianic expectation, the expectation of uh, God's Messiah was going to be that he was just going to be the next son of David. He was going to be just like David coming in with swords and flags and he was going to come in and they were going to take over and there was going to be an immediate separation. There was going to be this immediate separation where everybody who wants to be with God is going to be on the Messiah's team and everybody who is against God is not going to be on the Messiah's team. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to cut down all of God's enemies and it's going to be boom. Jesus' people are going to live happily ever after, and everybody else, you know, is going to either serve them or die. And that's, that was the expectation. People thought that's what it was going to be like. And so when Jesus shows up, and instead of an army and flags and swords and taking out the Romans, Jesus shows up, and basically it's a young man's Bible study led by a homeless carpenter, people are having some questions. And one of them was, you know, why are the evil allowed to live among the good? And Jesus is coming to let them know that the kingdom is not being sorted out right now, that the kingdom will be sorted out in the future. We could also talk about the problem of evil right here. Do you notice that whenever the weeds come up, what's the first question that the workers say, or the first question that they ask the master? They say, they ask the master, what's wrong with you? Didn't you sow good seed in the field? 
And isn't this the question still today? People see evil in the world. People see what's wrong, what's going on in the world around us, and they, what's the first thing they ask? Why, God? Why have you done this? But if you'll notice, God only sowed good seed. There is a devil. There is real evil in the world. And the source of all evil in the world ultimately does come back to the devil. Now, we have made all of our decisions to follow the devil at times, and a lot of times our sin plays into that. But the point here is that there is evil in the world, and it's not God's fault. Okay? So we could talk about either one of those things, and I guess we did just talk about both of those things. But the real thing that I want to pull out of this parable, I think that's the most important for all of us to hear this morning, is that there are many types of people in the world. There are white people, black people, brown people, Asian people, Middle Eastern people. There are introverts, there are extroverts, there are creative people, athletic people, smart people, you can fill in the blank, cat people, dog people. You could put people in all sorts of different categories in this life. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, there are two categories that every person will fall in. Those who know Jesus and those who don't. There are people who follow Jesus and those who don't. There are the righteous and the unrighteous, those who have had their sins forgiven and those who have not, weeds and wheat, goats and sheep. That is a bold thing to say these days. Because, let me tell you all this, okay? I'm glad that we're going through the book of Matthew like this, and Luke is making us go through verse by verse, and we, have, we can't skip anything, and we just read all the verses, because I probably wouldn't have chosen this passage to talk about on the 4th of July. Yeah, America! Let's talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. This isn't what I want to be talking about today, but here's the deal. Somebody has to talk about it. Because the world is telling you that everybody is going to heaven. Everybody's grandma goes to heaven. Everybody's grandpa's in a better place. But that's not true. That would be awesome if that was true, but it's not. We're not living by what sounds good or what makes me feel good at a funeral. We are talking about what is actually true, and that is what Jesus is telling us. He's warning us is that all those who want to follow me and receive grace for free for the forgiveness of your sins and be brought into my beautiful kingdom, it's free and you can have it, and all you have to do is say yes and follow me. But if you don't, if you ignore this plea, if you ignore this invitation, there will be hell for you. And we can't back down from talking about this because nobody else is talking about it. If we don't talk about it at church, nobody will tell you the truth about this. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And there is a free ticket into heaven, and his name is Jesus. And he paid for all of your sins on the cross. That's amazing. Yeah, that's great. So that's a little bit of a downer. But the, best, the rest of the parables get a little bit better, a little bit happier. So let's take a look at them. If you look on in verse 31 is where we're picking up. It says, Jesus gave them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown... It is the greatest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the wild birds come and nest in its branches. 
So uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a mustard seed before, but Amazon has everything, and so uh, I, I have one or a hundred in my pocket. Do you see that? Good, that's the point. <laughs> the mustard seed is super small. Hey, um, if we have any kids in the room, do you guys want a mustard seed? Yeah, if you want a mustard seed, I got some. You can come get them. Come get one. Or a hundred. Hey, Ezra, I can always count on you. Thanks, buddy. There you go. Thanks, buddy. Hey, y'all. See you later. Uh, originally, my plan was to put one of these under every seat. Uh, and when I started, I realized unless you had like a microscope, you can't find them. So I figured that would be like a 20-minute distraction. This is only a 10-minute distraction. Okay, awesome. All right, so mustard seed, really small, okay? Um, and Jesus' point is that the mustard seed, these things are like all stuck to my hands now. Um, the mustard seed is the smallest, was, was there, his audience, their smallest seed. And he said, it grows into the biggest plant in the garden. Apparently, a mustard seed can grow 10 feet in its first year. And so everybody knew that this seed was so small, but it grows into this big thing. And my point here for you is that the kingdom will surprise you. You see, Jesus started out, like I said, he had his young men's Bible study, uh, and everybody was real confused and like, what the heck, we were expecting an army. And Jesus goes out, and things actually get worse before they get better. He goes out with his Bible study and gets a few people that like him, and then most of those people that liked him actually ended up leaving him, and then he gets crucified. And so most people are looking at this, and they're like, okay, that's probably done. The Bible study is over. Um, but if you go in the history book and you flip the page, a hundred years later, Christianity has spread all throughout the Mediterranean into North Africa and the Middle East and parts of, in all, pretty much all of Europe. And if, we, if you flip the page again, a few, well, it's probably a few more pages, Christianity now, 2,000 years later, is all over the globe. Nobody would have ever suspected that the crucified Messiah, who led a persecuted, poor, pacifist movement of people, would have turned into this thing that has taken over the whole world. Nobody would have ever guessed it. It was led by a peasant, a homeless peasant. Nobody ever saw this coming. But the point is that the kingdom will surprise you because this is not a movement of man. You know, if you go back and you look uh, at the history of Islam, Islam spread like a wildfire too. But Islam wasn't spread by an impoverished peasant. It was spread by a sword. And so there was no surprise at how it was able to spread. And, you know, basically you can be Islam or you can follow Islam or you can die or pay heavy taxes. I, could, I can understand how that religion got very large. And you can see how it, spread, how it keeps going today. It's spread by fear and intimidation. Whereas Jesus has always spread his message by invitation and by love. And even when things are going well and we're doing it the way he wants us to, even when our enemies persecute us, we still ex extend love and prayer and blessing to them. And so it's amazing, it's mind-boggling how this thing became this huge this huge thing, this huge, um, this huge movement. And so Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven will surprise you. And I don't think it's actually just in the, 
broad picture of the kingdom. I actually think that this is what happens anytime the kingdom is anywhere. The kingdom always starts out as a mustard seed and turns into something bigger than anybody would have imagined. Uh, Maritza's cousin, one of my favorite people in the world, her name is Jenny, um, I started, I came into her family, I got to meet her a few years ago, but nobody really in Maritza's family was Christian, and Jenny's story was a lot like Maritza's in that whenever she was in high school, she got saved, and she just became on fire for Jesus. And, but when she came home, though, Jenny, uh, she came home to four other sisters, uh, all of them older than her, and two parents who didn't go to church, didn't really believe in Jesus or anything like that, and, but her goal as all of us should be, uh, was to share the gospel with them and to see all of her family be saved. But the problem is that Jenny is the baby, and she's the only Christian. And, you know, usually you have a hard enough time getting anybody to listen to you when you're the baby of the family, and uh, especially when you come and you start talking about Jesus, okay? Um, but if you fast forward a little bit, that was about... I don't know, that's probably about six or seven years ago now. But as I have been in this family, I've started to see, coming in four or five years ago, she was the only Christian there, trying to share the gospel with her family, but now there's been a transformation that has taken place. You see, Jenny pressed hard into the kingdom. She pressed hard into this thing, and she prayed for her family. She kept inviting them to church, and she kept... Um, just sowing the seed of the kingdom in their family. And after a while, now all of the kids in that family, all of her nieces and nephews pretty much, have been baptized at her church. A couple of her brother, a couple of her sisters now go to that church and have been baptized. And seriously, not just like I've been baptized, like, okay, I did it, I, I got the t-shirt and all that stuff, but they're like, they really love Jesus. Like, they're on fire following Jesus too. Like, they're real Christians. And all this was going really good. And then... About this time last year, it happened the end of May, Jenny and Maritza's cousin, 20 years old, uh, committed suicide. And his father and mother had been, you know, just coming to church a couple of times just to check it out. But at that moment, we all were like, oh, wow, like, <laughs> this, this is the end. Like, nobody, you just can't. Imagine trying to convince somebody that the, that the creator and sustainer of the universe is good right after their, own, their only brother has committed suicide and their only son has committed suicide. But the kingdom will surprise you. You see, Jenny and her family and her church family, uh, I was there the day after it happened and uh, all the families over there at the house, but it wasn't just the family. A bunch of people who didn't know the family from Jenny's church were there, and they were trying to take care of the family. They were bringing food. They were cleaning up. They were there praying with the family. And um, <clears throat> that's not right. Can you guys uh, go to the slide before the video? Uh, that works too. Uh, so just a little bit of background, a little bit more background. This is... This was a few weeks ago, and this is um, the father of their cousin who had committed suicide um, just a few weeks ago. So um, I'm cutting it short just a little bit, but he gets baptized right there. I don't know if you heard all of that, but he got up and he said, uh, Jesus rescued me from a world that I didn't want to be in anymore. He said, I lost my son, and God, I lost my only son, and God gave his only son uh, to save me. Um, and he got baptized that day, and they're walking with the Lord today. And my point is that it all started out with just one 
high school girl getting saved in a family of people who didn't know Jesus. And you don't know, the kingdom always starts off like a mustard seed, something small and un, unimpressive and inconspicuous. But the kingdom, because it's the real deal and because it's fueled by the power of God, it's the real thing. It always grows into something grandiose and magnificent and something greater than anybody would have ever expected. So if you are by yourself, if you're the only Christian in your workplace, if you're the only Christian at your, at your job or in your family, if you are the person who is trying to get this ministry started, you feel like Jesus has called you to do this thing and it feels like it's just this big thing that God's given you a dream for, but you know it's just only you or it's just this small thing and you don't ever see how it could ever be this big kingdom thing. Take heart because the kingdom will surprise you because it's just the nature of the kingdom. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> I got one more parable for you guys this morning. <clears throat> we pick up in um, verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a person found and hid. Then, because of joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for fine pearls. When he found a pearl of great value, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. So kids, I have some pearls in my pocket. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I don't, I don't got money like that. Let me ask you this question. Whenever you came into this thing, I don't know when it was or where you were, whenever you came into following Jesus, when you came into the kingdom, what did you think you were getting yourself into? What did you think you had stumbled upon? What do you think we're living in right now? What do you think we have? Do you, do you think you found another Sunday morning obligation? Did you find a religion so that now you can check a box instead of other or unknown? Or do you think that, you, do you know that you have found treasure? You see, uh, last week, me and Maritza were in the car talking, and there was apparently a couple in Louisiana who they just randomly checked their bank account last week, and there was $50 billion in it. 50, with a B, with a B, $50 billion. Now that would make like, much of a difference to me, like 50 million, 50 billion, it's about, you know, I would have about just as much fun with either one. But... They had $50 billion, and so me and Maritza just kind of started going and talking, you know, just what you do. I felt a little embarrassed at, like, the little smiles that came across my face talking about this imaginary $50 billion that's in my imaginary bank account. And we were just talking, like, what would you do with your $50 billion? And, like, what would you do with your $50 billion? And Maritza, first thing she said is she would hire a private chef <laughs> because I'm the one who cooks in the family. And... Uh, she said she also wanted to get a private jet to fly to her private island uh, in the Caribbean, and uh, she said she'd hire a maid. I'm also the one who cleans at the house. Um, and she said she also wanted a Honda Accord. That's what she would do with her $50 billion. And um, I said, obviously, I would give all of my $50 billion to the poor. And uh, some of y'all believed me right there, didn't you? That was... They're like, yep, he would do that. He's a good guy like that. What would you do with $50 billion? Here's the point with $50 billion, is that you're, you would never have your normal life again. Your life would never be the same. 
none of us would go on living the same way that we did because $50 billion is life-changing money. It's new life money. It's a complete change in your reality because it is immeasurable treasure. You can't even fathom how much money $50 billion is. You could never spend it all. And what Jesus is saying is that that is what you've come into in the kingdom. He said the kingdom, anybody who finds the kingdom, it's like somebody who went and found buried treasure and they sold everything they had to get it. What you have found in Jesus is not a religion. It's not something for you to do on Sundays. It's not a social club. Jesus says that the kingdom is treasure. You have found life-changing treasure, and if you have really found it and you're in it, your life should never be the same again. Your normal, your old normal is gone. You have a new normal. This is a completely new life that you have stepped into. In Jesus, we have something that is so much, and this, I'm not kidding. I'm not just saying this because this is what the Bible says. If you are in the kingdom, that is so much better than $50 billion. Because in 100 years, $50 billion will be gone. It won't be yours, at least. But in 100 years, you will be in the kingdom of heaven, like our verse said, shining like the sun with your Father who's in heaven. You're going to be shining like the sun. In the kingdom of heaven, you get a relationship with the most beautiful, magnificent, generous, kind being that there has ever been and ever will be, Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of heaven, you've been adopted as a son of the heavenly father, the creator of the cosmos, the world itself. You've been invited into a family of the people of God, and you will never die. You've been given access to joy, Jesus' joy that said can never be taken from you. You get access to a peace that's beyond understanding. Do I have to keep going? You have found treasure. You have treasure. You're all filthy rich. If you want to get people to come to church next week, just tell them, like, hey, come to our church. We're all filthy rich, and they're giving out treasure. But it's true, we are. We're giving out something that's so much better than $50 billion because that is what we have found in the kingdom. But let me tell you, there is a small caveat, okay? And here's what it is. The kingdom costs everything. If you notice in both of those stories, those people find the treasure, and they go and they take the treasure, or they, they go and take everything they had, and they bought the field. They sold everything they had to get the field, or they sold everything they had to buy the pearl. And I want to tell you this. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And let me explain that to you, because I only found out what that meant a few weeks ago. Everybody always said it, and I was like, what does that even mean? You can't have it both ways. You can't keep your treasure and get the treasure of the kingdom. I want to show you this verse. It may seem like, why am I talking about this right now? But it, it does, it, it kind of ties into what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I hate when people don't bring up the next verse, so let me bring up the next verse real quick. And he says, and that's what some of you were, but you were justified and sanctified and some other ified. Um, should have kept it up there on the screen. But my point is that what he's saying, what Paul is saying right here, is that adulterers don't go to heaven. He's saying that thieves don't go to heaven. He's saying gossipers don't go to heaven. Well, you say, someone, you say, I gossip sometimes. I've stolen, you know, 
I've looked at pornography, and Jesus says it's the same as adultery. But what Jesus is saying is that you have to lay those things down. I'm not talking about being perfect, but you do have to lay down your old life. You do have to lay down what you're holding on to, what you're saying, Jesus, you can't have that. Jesus is saying you can't have both. You have to give up whatever it is. You have to give up your money. You have to give up that girlfriend. You have to give up that boyfriend if God has said no. You have to give up maybe your retirement in Florida in order that you can be kingdom-minded with your money. God may be asking you, I don't know what God's asking you to do, but everybody's got that something. Everybody's got that treasure. Everybody's got something that says, I want to follow Jesus, but. I want to follow Jesus, but I, I really want this a lot. And Jesus is saying, you can't have both. You have to give up your treasure to get treasure. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't have both. Now, I want to ask you, though, how many of you, whenever you see this parable, whenever you read those stories, and the guy goes and sells all of his stuff, and he gets the buried treasure in the field, and he's filthy rich, how many of you go, oh, he had to sell his stuff? Nobody, it doesn't even come into your mind, because the treasure that you are giving up pales in comparison to the real treasure there is nothing that you are holding on to. And I know that in the moment, it always seems like the treasure that you have in your hands is just, you just can't imagine giving it up. Whatever you're keeping from Jesus, it just seems like there's no way that you could possibly live without it. But Jesus, every time, the second that you lay it down, he puts the real treasure in your hands, you know I have made the right decision and God has been good to me. The kingdom will cost you everything, but it is worth everything. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to give everything for your kingdom. I thank you that you just graciously held out this free invitation. Jesus, all that you ask is that we give our trash for your treasure. Lord, I pray that you would pry open our hands, that you would help us. If there's anything that we're holding back from you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in hearts and just illuminate whatever that is, if there's anybody here. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for sharing your kingdom with us, your treasure. Help us to trust you more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.